Good morning, and thank you for standing by. Welcome to Abbott's second quarter 2023 earnings conference call. All participants will be able to listen only until the question and answer portion of this call. During the question and answer session, you will be able to ask your question by pressing the star 1-1 keys on your touchtone phone. This call is being recorded by Abbott. With the exception of any participants' questions asked during the question and answer session, the entire call, including the question and answer session, is material copyrighted by Abbott. It cannot be recorded or rebroadcast without Abbott's express written permission. I would now like to introduce Mr. Mike Camilla, Vice President, Investor Relations. Good morning, and thank you for joining us. With me today are Robert Ford, Chairman and Chief Executive Officer, and Bob Funk, Executive Vice President, Finance and Chief Financial Officer. Robert and Bob will provide opening remarks. Following their comments, we'll take your questions. Before we get started, some statements made today may be forward-looking for purposes of the Private Securities Litigation Reform Act of 1995, including the expected financial results for 2023. Abbott cautions that these forward-looking statements are subject to risk and uncertainties that may cause actual results to differ materially from those indicated in the forward statements. Economic, competitive, governmental, technological, and other factors that may affect Abbott's operations are discussed in item 1A, risk factors, to our annual report on Form 10-K for the year ended December 31, 2022. Abbott undertakes no obligation to release publicly any revisions to forward-looking statements as a result of subsequent events or developments except as required by law. On today's conference call, as in the past, non-GAAP financial measures will be used to help investors understand Abbott's ongoing business performance. These non-GAAP financial measures are reconciled with comparable GAAP financial measures in our earnings news release and regulatory filings from today, which are available on our website at abbott.com. Note that Abbott has not provided the GAAP financial measure for organic sales growth on a forward-looking basis because the company is unable to predict future changes in foreign exchange rates, which could impact reported sales growth. Unless otherwise noted, our commentary on sales growth refers to organic sales growth, which is defined in the quarterly results press release issued earlier today. With that, I will now turn the call over to Robert. Thanks, Mike. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us. Today, we reported second quarter adjusted earnings per share of $1.08, which reflects an acceleration in the contribution from the underlying base business. Organic sales, excluded COVID testing, increased low double digits for the second quarter in a row and was led by mid-teens growth in medical devices, along with double-digit growth in established pharmaceuticals and nutrition. On our last couple of earnings calls, I've highlighted improving underlying demand trends across our businesses. These strengthening trends continued in both our institutional and consumer-facing businesses this past quarter. Within the institutional businesses, healthcare systems around the world have continued to improve their ability to expand the supply of healthcare services through ongoing efforts to adjust protocols, manage the labor challenges, 
and increase the overall available capacity to treat patients. In our more consumer-facing businesses, we're seeing consumers prioritize spending for healthcare products, which is driving increased demand for our products in the U.S. and internationally. I'll now summarize our second quarter results in more detail before turning the call over to Bob. And I'll start with nutrition, where sales increased 10% in the quarter. In the U.S., growth was led by pediatric nutrition growth of more than 20%. We continue to make good progress in increasing manufacturing production and have now recovered approximately 75% of the market share in the infant formula business that was lost last year as a result of the voluntary recall. Internationally, total nutrition sales grew 6%, led by growth in both pediatric and adult nutrition businesses. Turning to established pharmaceuticals, sales increased 12.5% in the quarter. This strong performance was led by growth across several markets, including India and China, and therapeutic areas, including gastroenterology, women's health, and CNS pain management. This business continues to execute at a high level and capitalize on the favorable demographic and socioeconomic trends in emerging markets. Moving to diagnostics, excluding COVID testing, organic sales grew 7%, led by core lab diagnostics, where sales grew 10%, driven by performance in the US, Europe, and China. This broad-based strong performance reflects the increased demand for routine diagnostic testing globally. And in the US, our blood transfusion testing business continues to make good progress, recovering from the impact of lower plasma donations that occurred during the COVID-19 pandemic. And I'll wrap up with medical devices, where sales grew more than 14% on an organic basis, including double-digit growth in both U.S. and internationally. In diabetes care, Freestyle Libre sales exceeded $1.3 billion in a quarter and grew 25% on an organic basis. During the quarter, Libre became the first and only continuous glucose monitoring system to be nationally reimbursed in France for all people with diabetes who use insulin. This achievement was a direct result of the unique value proposition that Libre offers, a fully featured continuous glucose monitor made available at an accessible price. Abbott has led the way in expanding reimbursement coverage for continuous glucose monitors in order to bring the benefits of this life-changing technology to more people around the world. In cardiovascular devices, sales grew more than 10% overall in the quarter, led by double-digit growth in electrophysiology and structural heart. In electrophysiology, performance was led by international growth of more than 20%, which included high teens growth in Europe and strong growth in China. During the quarter, we received U.S. FDA approval for our Tactiflex ablation catheter, the world's first ablation catheter with a flexible tip and contact force sensing technology, which helps to deliver improved procedure outcomes and faster procedure times. In structural heart, 
Performance was driven by MitraClip growth of approximately 10%, along with growth from several recently launched new products. Earlier this year, we submitted for FDA approval for TriClip, our minimally invasive tricuspid valve repair device that helps treat a condition known as tricuspid regurgitation, the leaky heart valve disease. The clinical trial data supporting our submission show that TriClip is a highly effective and safe treatment that provides a significant improvement in the quality of life for patients. TriClip is currently being reviewed by the FDA, and we look forward to bringing this first-of-its-kind technology to patients here in the U.S. In rhythm management, growth of 8% was led by Avair, our recently launched leadless pacemaker. And during the quarter, we received FDA approval for our Avair dual-chamber leadless pacemaker, a first-of-its-kind technology that allows for two pacemaker devices to communicate with one another inside the body to provide minimally invasive treatment for those with abnormal heart rhythms. Avair was specifically designed to be upgradable and retrievable in order to evolve with patient changes in therapy needs over time. This unique technology offers the potential to revolutionize care for millions of people who require a pacemaker. And lastly, in neuromodulation, sales grew 16%, driven by the recent launch of Eterna, our first rechargeable neurostimulation device for pain management, which targets a large segment of the market where we previously did not compete. During the first half of this year, we introduced several new innovations, including the launch of Eterna and label indication expansions for treating painful diabetic neuropathy and chronic back pain for those who have not had or are not eligible for back surgery. So in summary, we exceeded expectations on both top and the bottom lines. Growth in the underlying base business accelerated, driven by improving market conditions and contributions from both new products and legacy growth platforms. And our pipeline continues to be highly productive, which will sustain our strong growth profile in the future. I'll now turn over the call to Bob. Bob. Thanks, Robert. As Mike mentioned earlier, please note that all references to sales growth rates, unless otherwise noted, are on an organic basis. Turning to our second quarter results, sales decreased 9.2% on an organic basis due to, as expected, a year-over-year decline in COVID testing-related sales. Excluding COVID testing-related sales, underlying base business organic sales growth was 11.5% in the quarter. Foreign exchange had an unfavorable year-over-year impact of 2.5% on second quarter sales. During the quarter, we saw the U.S. dollar strengthen somewhat versus several currencies, which resulted in a slightly more unfavorable impact on sales compared to exchange rates at the time of our earnings call in April. Regarding other aspects of the P&L, the adjusted gross margin ratio was 55.4% of sales, which reflects continued flow-through impacts from the elevated inflation we experienced last year on certain manufacturing and distribution costs, as well as an unfavorable impact from foreign exchange. Adjusted R&D was 6.4% of sales, 
and adjusted SG&A was 27.2% of sales in the second quarter. Lastly, our second quarter adjusted tax rate was 14%. Turning to our outlook for the full year, we now forecast total underlying base business organic sales growth, excluding COVID testing sales, to be in the low double digits. We're now forecasting COVID testing related sales of around $1.3 billion, which is below our full year forecast of around $1.5 billion that we provided in April due to current testing dynamics, including lower demand for testing following the end of the public health emergency in May. For the third quarter, we forecast COVID testing sales of around $100 million. Based on current rates, we expect exchange to have an unfavorable impact of a little more than 1.5% on full-year reported sales. Lastly, our full-year adjusted earnings per share guidance of $4.30 to $4.50 remains unchanged, but reflects a lower earnings contribution from COVID testing sales compared to expectations in April, offset by raising our underlying base business earnings forecast by approximately $0.05 cents based on our strong performance and outlook. Compared to the initial guidance we provided back in January, we have now raised our underlying base business earnings forecast by more than $0.15, cents, offsetting the lower contribution from COVID testing versus our initial forecast. Turning to our outlook for the third quarter, we forecast adjusted earnings per share to be approximately $1.10, which reflects strong growth on the underlying base business. We forecast total underlying base business organic sales growth, excluding COVID testing sales, to be in the low double digits and exchange to have an unfavorable impact of a little more than 1% on our third quarter reported sales. With that, we'll now open the call for questions. Thank you. At this time, we will conduct the question and answer session. As a reminder, to ask a question, you will need to press star one one on your telephone. You will then hear an automated message advising you that your hand is raised. To withdraw your question, please press star one one again. For optimal sound quality, we kindly ask that you please use your handset instead of your speakerphone when asking your question. Again, that's star one one to ask a question. Please stand by while we compile the Q&A roster. And our first question will come from Joshua Jennings from TD Cowan. Your line is open. Hi, good morning and, and congratulations on another strong quarter. Um, the core business is uh, generating nice momentum, getting sales growth, accelerating earnings power increasing. Robert, it'd be great to hear your views first on, on the drivers of the back half momentum. Soon an updated low double-digit organic revenue growth forecast for 23, and then, and then second, um, it'd be great also to get your thoughts on the sustainability of this, of this building momentum in 24 uh, as the business is creating some more challenging comps for next year. Thanks for taking the questions. Uh, sure, Josh. Uh, yeah, it was a very strong quarter, uh, broad-based growth, and um, but listen, I, I, you know, I still think that we could do better, uh, and I know my team, uh, my team feels that also. Uh, if you if you go back a little bit in terms of you know, 
couple years when COVID was happening, we always said that that, that there was a great head share for us, right? And, and, and when COVID would subside, we would have a, a strong base business and making the investments. And, and I think that's what you're seeing right now play out in these last couple of quarters and what we think is going to continue to play out uh, throughout the rest of the year and going into 2024. We saw very strong uh, growth across all four sectors, uh, excluding the COVID testing piece of it. And, and as I said in my my, my opening remarks, uh, the institutional business, the consumer business, there was an acceleration from uh, from Q1 to Q2, um, growth versus Q2 of last year. So all, all, all the right uh, indicators here, uh, trending positive and, and with great momentum. Uh, devices and diagnostics, that was a nice step up. Uh, I, I attribute that, uh, you know, really good improving market conditions, whether it's the hospital systems, uh, you know, uh, addressing, you know, some of the bottlenecks that they had in care, but also um, um, markets that are reopening, um, you know, uh, and that trend continuing, uh, but also new products. So market conditions was part of it, but new product launches um, also contributed quite a bit there. Uh, EPD um, has sustained, I'd say, high single-digit, low double-digit growth the last two years, and I, I think that that continues. I think we're probably one of the best positioned uh, large uh, healthcare companies in emerging markets. Uh, we've got a unique strategy there, um, a lot of uh, regionalization and, and a lot of local for local, and the team does a really good job at executing that. Uh, the double-digit growth in nutrition was as expected. Um, we're seeing the recovery in the pediatric business, um, uh, recovering our market share. Um, you know, my, my comment there of the, of the three quarters of recovery uh, is, is more general and broad based. But once you start looking at different segments of the infant formula market, different SKU sets and different types of formula, there are certain segments where we've already, we've already backed the leadership position. So, um, so that's moving it all in the right trajectory. And adults doing very well in several countries. So. Um, COVID declined uh, as we had forecasted. Uh, we decided to bring our, our, our COVID number down uh, a couple hundred million dollars because we're seeing, um, you know, uh, as the public health emergency uh, ended, we saw a little bit of a decline in testing there. So we'll see how that's going to play out in Q4. It's probably like the first quarter we'll see, Josh, of, a, of a, an endemic uh, respiratory season. So we'll see how that's going to play out. Uh, but the base business is doing really well. And, and, and I'd say from a geographic perspective, it was pretty broad-based also across all geographies, you know, U.S., uh, Europe, uh, Asia. Uh, obviously, China reopening was, re was really positive, too. But it, was, it wasn't like this over-indexing in our growth rate with China opening. I mean, if you, if you look at our growth rate excluding China, it, was, it, it only added about a point of growth, that 11, 11.5%. So, uh, so it's pretty broad-based across, across the market. So please, the top line, I believe it's very sustainable, uh, which is why we increased from uh, at least high single to, to, to low double-digit uh, growth rate. And, um, and I think the pipeline and the productivity is another kind of key aspect in our quarter. Uh, a lot of product approvals, um, and that's going to that's going to drive it. it. It's probably a little bit early to kind of go through you know a, a specific guidance for 2024, but I think if you if you look at this COVID decline, this anticipated COVID decline that we had this year, I think, it, I think it's kind of overshadowed a little bit about the strong and the strength and the performance in the base business. And you're starting to see as that number comes down in COVID, you're starting to see really uh, the strength of the base business. So um, if you look at the base business, it's contributing about 
It's contributed about $4.10 of earnings uh, for the full year this year. That's about $0.15 cents higher uh, to what we originally guided back in January. Um, and uh, I think that's pretty significant uh, uh, growth, even that $4.10 on the base business. Uh, and that's really been driven by top line. Um, so uh, you look at the leverage in the P&L, the investments we made during COVID, uh, we're able to drive a lot of, uh, a lot of growth uh, there. So uh, pipelines delivering um, pretty significantly. Um, and I, I, continue, I, I believe that that is the sustainability going into 2024, that top line. Uh, of course, gross margin is, is, a, is a constant area of focus for us. Um, you know, whether it was the impact of effects or the impact of inflation. Uh, but I'm already seeing three out of our four major businesses here uh, showing improved gross margin profiles um, uh, versus the end of last year. So we're seeing good, good momentum over there. So I, if I put this all into account, I, I think we're achieving a lot of growth, uh, top and bottom line, the new product contributions, strong pipeline, um, and then the opportunity that we'll have for gross margin expansion. So I think we're well set up uh, as we go into the second half of this year and as we go into 2024. Excellent. Thanks so much. Thank you. And our next question will come from Larry Beagleson from Wells Fargo. Your line is open. Uh, good morning. Thanks for taking the question, and uh, congrats on the nice quarter here. Just one for me, Robert. Um, you know, I'd love to hear your thoughts on the MedTech Fab Five and the pipeline, specifically how you're thinking about there and, you know, the dual chamber approval and, and, and TriClip you mentioned earlier, and just the sustainability of that 11%, you know, cardio, neuromod growth uh, we saw this quarter. Thanks so much. Sure. Well, that group of products, uh, they did really, pretty well in the quarter. Um, uh, combined, those products, they grew about 40%, Larry. Uh, you know, if you take the Q2 uh, run rate and annualize it, it it's, it's annualized to, to about, you know, a little, little over $650 million. Uh, I expect to, to do better than that in the year as, as the next quarters progress. Um, you know, regarding your, your, your question on, uh, on these products, uh, I'll, I can go – I can go through some of them here. I mean, on the Avair side, uh, we saw a lot of a lot of positive developments this quarter for uh, for Leadless. You know, if you remember, we received FDA approval for the single chamber um, uh, last year. And if you look at some of the claims data, at least the claims data that we're looking at, showing that we'd be able to capture about about a third of that market. Uh, so that's doing uh, that's doing really well. Uh, but what's really exciting uh, for us, and, and quite frankly, it's a lot of KOLs that I've spoken to, especially at HRS this year, uh, was the approval for the dual chamber, which is a much larger segment uh, of that. You know, it makes up you know, at least 80% of that $3 billion uh, worldwide pace market. Um, and it's the first ever technology, right, where you got two implanted devices communicating with each other. Uh, so it, it's, it's a huge opportunity uh, for us, I think, uh, to really change uh, you know, uh, paradigm here. It's a little bit of a different implant uh, than what um, EPs have been accustomed to doing with, uh, with you know, with uh, pacemakers that have leads. Uh, so, our, you know, our focus here in the beginning, I think, is really to look at, at, the, at the bigger part of the market and make sure that we do a really good job at, uh, you know, creating a real-world kind of strong clinical results, uh, making sure that, you know, the implant technique gets well understood 
Um, and uh, so we'll focus uh, a lot on training and training physicians. Uh, we'll be opening new centers, of course, but we're going we're gonna, to, this falls in the bucket, Larry, of just making sure that, you know, we go at the right tempo out of the gate so that we've got a bigger eye on the, on the, on the larger, on the larger mark and the larger conversion, because I think that that's a huge opportunity for conversion over there. So, uh, so there, I'm, I'm very excited about, uh, and the team's already starting their, their, their launch plan here. Um, Amulet grew uh, 25% this quarter, which is a great growth rate. And again, we're also focusing uh, on generating great real-world clinical results there, being thoughtful about how we open the accounts, build a strong, sustainable position. This is a fast-growing market. It's a great opportunity for us. And, um, and so that's done well. And Taver uh, with Navator, again, our quarterly sales, uh, we're looking at this the other day, our quarterly sales have, have roughly doubled uh, in the last 18 months. Now, yeah, I, I granted it's a, it's a smaller base, but uh, I'm just hearing really good feedback from the implanters now once, once Navator is out uh, regarding the implant technique, regarding the outcomes. Uh, so I think we're building a really good position here, obviously in the U.S. following the launch. Uh, but internationally, seeing real, real strong performance, um, whether it's market share gains or our ability now to open new accounts uh, with this new product. Uh, and then TriClip um, is, um, we're seeing similar international performance. Uh, physician enthusiasm here continues to, continues to build um, as now they've got this uh, much better, uh, I'd say, a, a real effective option here. Uh, to treat patients that are suffering from from TR. So, and I think I think the publishing of the Triluminate data earlier this year really gave a boost uh, to those international markets. Uh, I mean, we had clinical data out there, but the Triluminate data, I think, really that this, you can see this correlation in terms of uh, what we're seeing in terms of implants there post uh, post uh, post publishing that data. So. So I'm, I'm excited to bring it here to the U.S. I mean, we submitted it to the FDA earlier this year. Um, the clinical data that supported the submission, as I said in my opening comments, is really strong. Uh, great, uh, uh, great uh, quality of life improvement. I'm, uh, I'm enthusiastic about the opportunity here in the U.S. I mean, it's a PMA submission. We submitted it in, uh, we submitted it in January. So uh, we didn't, we didn't necessarily bake in any, any kind of significant sales this year. Uh, but I think it's a great contributor for us uh, for us next year. So, and then on neuro, uh, I mean, this market moves a lot with uh, innovation, and uh, you know, we, we we introduced quite a bit of innovation. I would say over the last six months in this market, uh, this great opportunity to execute on that, um, and uh, you know, there's more to come also in that business too. So I, I look at the cardio neuro business. Um, uh, just with just with these these products uh, that we've mentioned here, these uh, these this, this group of products uh, that we recently launched, uh, billion dollar segments, uh, and that were in the early innings. So so I'm I'm excited about it, and I think there's got a lot of a lot of momentum and sustainability on on uh, on our cardio neuro business, Larry. All right, thanks so much. Thank you. Our next question comes from Danielle Antolfi from UBS. Your line is open. Hey, good morning, everyone. Thanks so much for, for taking the question. And Robert, I do have two product-specific questions, but you totally stole my thunder with that very thorough answer there. But if I could uh, follow up on specifically Libre, Libre and MitraClip. So did see U.S. deceleration in the quarter for Libre. Just wondering what you're seeing out there. You know, you have um, a competitor launching a new product, but you guys are launching Libre 3. 
um, and you do have the basal coverage for Medicare now, but how you see basal ramping, that's the first product question. And then the second question is on MitraClip and, you know, another a quarter was fine, but, you know, this is a market that had been growing double digits pre-COVID. Just curious about where you think this market falls out on a normalized basis once we're through staffing constraints, once we get through what feels like a little bit of a an air pocket in the patient population given the high more, uh, mortality rates through COVID. So those are my two product questions. Thank you so much. Okay, thanks. Uh, so on your Libre question, uh, I think we had a really strong quarter there, Danielle. Um, you know, we grew, we grew 25%, yeah, 30% in the U.S. Uh, I think it's pretty strong growth still. Um, and uh, internationally, we're up 22%. Uh, so that's uh, that's very that's very positive, uh, you know. Now that we've kind of put behind us some of the upgrading uh, um, activities that we were doing towards the second half of last year, and you're, you're seeing so you're seeing the impact there. Um, the basil is a great opportunity. Uh, in my comments, I, I, I reference France. Um, you know, this was this wasn't just like a tender award. Uh, you know, the, the French health authorities looked at claims data. They looked at uh, data from you know basal users using the product. We've got over about a 70 share of that market. So, uh, so they looked at it and say, wow, this is really having an impact. So, um, so that's good. Uh, it provides this great momentum. Uh, you look at now you've got U.S., Japan, and France. Um, uh, Reimbursing for basal, I mean, those are three of the top five markets in the world. Uh, we're well positioned there. Uh, U.S. coverage began in April, so that's that's playing out uh, nicely, also. So, um, so I think we got great momentum here. I'd say what's really exciting is a lot of the upcoming launch activity and pipeline activity that we'll have in the second half uh, of this year. Um, if you look at uh, our integration with pumps, uh, it's my understanding here that sometime in this uh, second half we'll see tandem uh, integration um, uh, with our CGM system here in the U.S., and that'll be exciting. Um, uh, one of the things that we've also got rolled out in planning is, as, as you might remember, we got L3 approved uh, full ICGM, but together with that approval, we also got a 15-day claim. So we'll be launching our 15-day sensor here in the U.S. Um, um, second half, uh, in the second half of this year. So that's exciting too. And the team is the team is on on target here to start uh, and initiate our our glucose ketone uh, dual sensor trial uh, sometime in Q4 here. So uh, so so a lot of pipeline activity in the second half. Probably the one that I'm most excited about, Danielle. Um, is actually uh, Libre2 streaming. Um, I think this is an incredible opportunity uh, and, and what the team has, uh, uh, has been able to do. I think it's the most exciting launch that we have in the second half here, which is really our ability to convert our entire Libre2 base um, from scanning to be able to have real-time streaming uh, through an app update. Um, we, 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 we ran our first conversion in the UK uh, over the weekend. Um, you know, there were some challenges uh, there as we, as we rolled it out. Team worked over the weekend, but uh, as of, uh, I think it was as of day, end of day Monday, 90% 
of the uh, of the user base was uh, what was converted, and the social media posts that I, I've been seeing are just incredibly positive. So just think about our ability here to convert our entire L2 base into a uh, into a slightly smaller version of L3 across the world with all the manufacturing capacity we have. So I'm really excited about that. So I think Libre is on a great trajectory, great momentum, um, and I think that's uh, that's going to continue. Um, regarding your question on uh, on, on MitraClip, um, yeah, I think the performance was, you know, I think it was pretty strong. 10% uh, growth. Um, international was up 20%, uh, so U.S. Was, was, was more modest, and I think you pointed to some of the challenges that, uh, that we are seeing. I, I, I'm not sure it's so much the staffing portion now, uh, Danielle. I mean, I think it was uh, probably in the second half of last year. Uh, we're not seeing that in the other parts of the business. So I, I think the U.S. pieces here is really, um, you know, our, 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 our ability here to, to reignite and restart that referral funnel here in the U.S., uh, which was impacted by the pandemic. And I, I think this is going to take a little bit of time, but it's a it's a key it's a key area of focus of the U.S. commercial team here is to is to really look the, the commercial and the clinical team uh, to, to really start to re re uh, restart those uh, you know that referral process uh, you know from the cardiologists into the hospitals. Uh, this is a continues to be an attractive growth area, and you can see that uh, where we don't have some of these issues here in the U.S., uh, we, we, we're, we're, we're looking internationally to accelerate uh, as a way to as a way to kind of balance it out. And we're seeing great growth internationally here, so so the market is still very attractive. Um, we're, we're we're having a lot of success internationally, and in the U.S., we're gonna we're gonna focus on on this uh, patient referral funnel here, uh, and I think we'll start to see kind of improvements in the numbers. Thank you so much. Thank you. Our next question will come from Vijay Kumar from Evercore ISI. Your line is open. Hey, guys. Thanks for taking my question, and uh, congrats on a, on a solid print here. Robert, I had a two-part question. Uh, one, uh, you know, you did mention double-digit organic for the base. Uh, is that, like, should we worry about the, uh, you know, comp issue for fiscal 24? Because I'm, I'm thinking about Lingo, which I, which I think is just launching. Is that enough to, you know, sort of uh, maintain uh, some of the strength we're seeing? So any comment on Lingo launch, uh, update on uh, Lingo would be helpful. And my second part is uh, on uh, gross margins down sequentially. You know, if I'm looking at that 56% overall for uh, the year, it looks like we're, we're probably look, looking at bottom half of the EPS guidance. You know, I know you had mentioned a billion dollars of inflation impact. Um, how should we think of that benefit? and margin expansion in back half under 24. Thank you. So yeah, I'll take, I'll take the Lego question and then um, uh, I'll, I'll ask Bob to, uh, to, to fill in on the gross margin. Uh, um, on the Lingo um, piece, um, listen, this, is, this has been part of our strategy, um, VJ. Uh, it, wasn't some, it was an afterthought as we were building Lingo platform. We knew we'd be in this situation where can we expand beyond diabetes? Uh, we've been very thoughtful about it um, and uh, very intentional about it. Um, uh, the, the opportunity during COVID to invest heavily uh, in this was um, uh, was our opportunity. And um, as I've said in the past, um, to be thoughtful about this, um, we had to create a separate group. 
uh, a fully dedicated group. Uh, I was with them uh, a few months ago. Uh, and if you look at the team, the scientists, the engineers, the data experts, the marketing team, et cetera, uh, they're just focused on this, but it's interesting their backgrounds here aren't necessarily with diabetes, right? They're more digital health, the more consumer health, uh, and they've got this target, which is to do something that not a lot of well-established companies, healthcare companies do, which is to create a product that's really targeting a healthy population uh, and a healthy population that wants to stay healthy. So um, the product was launched uh, yesterday in the UK. Uh, kudos to Lisa and the team uh, for getting that through. And the value proposition is is, uh, is pretty simple, uh, and I think that's how we needed to think about it for this patient segment here, uh, for this consumer segment. Sorry, um, and it's really to deliver personalized, um, personalized like metabolic uh, uh, metabolic improvement and, and metabolic health. And uh, the way it does that, VJ, is that it's it's teaching you about glucose spikes. Uh, it's teaching the consumer about how your body reacts to food, how it reacts to sleep, how it reacts to exercise. Um, and the goal is to minimize those spikes uh, throughout the day. Uh, so the lingo coach, uh, it learns, at first it learns about your metabolism, right? Uh, and then after it learns about your metabolism by wearing the sensor, it then assigns you a, a daily target. And we're going to call this the lingo count. Um, and uh, this is basically a number that is the amount of spikes that you're, you know, that you're, that you're allotted to or assigned to during the day, and uh, we're going to track that daily progress uh, and track to that target, and we believe that that's a great kind of behavior modification tool for those that don't have diabetes. Uh, you know, there are charts, there's data, there's all that that you have in the app, uh, but we believe that the simplicity of, of, of this lingo count is really key to, to modifying behavior. It's a subscription-based. Uh, 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 it's a subscription-based model. Uh, it's direct to consumer. Uh, we are looking at opportunities for partnership, but it's direct to consumer. The website, the web shop is open, um, and the pricing is pretty much in line with our cash pay price for Libre. Um, and I think the key aspect here is for this app is that we have to constantly provide content uh, to the app, constantly new information, new data. Uh, and if I think about, you know, everything that's going on in the world of AI, uh, and I think about how I think about AI for Abbott, uh, we have a lot of opportunities. Uh, I would put this one here uh, together with Libre as our biggest opportunity to capitalize on AI uh, and what it can do for personalization. Uh, so it's out in the UK. It's launched yesterday. Um, We'll study, we'll learn from the U.K., and then we'll roll it out to other markets. Um, I'll preempt your question, which is always like, is it going to come to the U.S.? Yes, it will. Uh, we intend to file uh, in the U.S. at the end of the year. Um, I don't expect big contribution um, right now from a financial perspective early on. Uh, maybe my team will surprise me, but uh, I absolutely expect this to be a, a significant contributor over time uh, for us. And uh, so that... That uh, third part of the growth stool here for that platform is, is, is out of the gates, and uh, we're excited um, to see what we can do. Okay, uh, so VJ on the, on the gross margin question. So back in January, we guided a gross margin profile of 56% of sales for the full year. And through the first half of the year, the base business, so excluding uh, COVID testing, uh, is right in line with that. Uh, we are, however... Uh, seeing lower gross margins 
on our COVID tests uh, do, you know, really do the significant decline in volumes uh, that we've seen compared to our assumptions uh, at the beginning of the year. And so that's really what's, what's being reflected in a little bit lower gross margin that you've seen. And it, you know, I think for the balance of the year, you know, we would expect to see gross margins roughly in the range of 56%. Uh, and then, you know, we would look for steady uh, improvement uh, after that. As Robert talked about, it's a key focus area for us. Uh, each of our businesses have gross margin uh, improvement programs in place uh, uh, with teams that are dedicated uh, to, that, to that effort. And, uh, you know, as, 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 so as we work in, you know, into 2024, we would expect to see some, some, some improvement overall in our gross margins. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Our next question will come from Joanne Wunsch from City. Your line is open. Uh, good morning, and thank you for taking the questions. Um, briefly, can you sort of tear apart the electrophysiology growth rate of 17%? How much of that is in the U.S.? How much of that is OUS? And, and what do you think is driving that? And then I'll just jump in with my second question, which is, if you've reclaimed about 75% of the pediatric nutritional business, do you get to 100% or do you think you're more or less where you can get to? Thank you. Sure. Uh, so really good growth uh, on EP. Uh, we were up about 17% uh, total. Uh, U.S. was uh, high single digits, around 9%. Uh, international was uh, was about uh, 24%. In that 24%, uh, Joanne, there's probably about uh, eight or nine points of uh, kind of China recovery. So if you if you look at the growth rate internationally outside of China, um, that was about 15%. Uh, so so real strong growth. Uh, Again, if you look at Europe specifically, it was up, you know, just under 20%. Um, so it's pretty broad-based. Uh, and even if you look at the big five countries in Europe, uh, did really well there. Um, Tactiflex in those countries, that, that's been out there for, for a couple quarters right now. Uh, we only got approval in the U.S. towards the end of the quarter. Uh, so uh, that's doing really well, and it's really helping. We got really good feedback uh, on uh, on the catheters. So uh, growth is doing very well. The U.S. was probably a little bit impacted by kind of the capital cycle. Uh, if you remember last year, we launched NSIDEX, and it was like a very large bolus of kind of upgrading and capital placements that we were making. Uh, we get a lot of good feedback on, on, on the system. Uh, both from the users and, and from the administration, especially the fact that it's an open system. So, uh, so that's done very well. If you look at the consumable part of the U.S. growth, it was up in the mid-teens. So, uh, so that, I, I guess the term used was tear apart uh, the, the, the EP growth rate. Um, uh, but, again, it's a, it's a great market. We've got a great position and uh, a good, good recovery, uh, and I expect to see this continuing um, throughout, uh, throughout this year. And sorry, what was your other question? The other question had to do with the 75% uh, recovery in nutrition. Is that sort of uh, your best case, or is there more to go? No, I, I, yeah. I kind of made I, I kind of made my team, and I also kind of said publicly that uh, you know our target here is to get back to 100% of uh, of our market share by the end of the year. 
Um, you know, a big driver of that is, is the manufacturing and the manufacturing kind of ramp up. And, you know, we started, we started the manufacture, reopening the manufacturing process in July for specialty of last year, uh, in August and September for non-specialty. So, uh, so that manufacturing is, uh, is provide us the, uh, you know, the supply we need, uh, to fulfill the demand. Uh, we've got a very strong brand, um, uh, in, in Similac, uh, and you're seeing that. So, and, and, and as I said, I think in, I think maybe to Josh's question in the beginning, if you if you look at the different segments, uh, first of all, if you start with WIC uh, and non-WIC, uh, in the WIC segment, we're back to leadership position or back to our, our position we had before the recall, and, and that was because we focused a lot in that Q3, Q4 time uh, in that segment. Um, so I, I guess long-winded to say, yeah, I mean, we're still on target for that um, to be able to get to the end of the year with our, uh, you know, with our pre uh, pre-recall uh, market share. So, uh, and like I said, if you pull up, if you break out some of the different formulas, because uh, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of different SKU sets and different types of formulas. Um, you know, and some of them we've already we're already back to where we were uh, before recall. So, um, teams got teams working really hard um, at this, and uh, I'm not I'm not changing that uh, I'm not changing that target. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question comes from Marie Seibold from BTIG. Your line is open. Hi, good morning, and thanks for taking the questions. Um, wanted to ask a fairly high-level one here on the diagnostics business now that COVID testing is, is sort of behind us. You know, Core Lab was really strong this quarter. I, I just want to kind of get an update on the areas of investment and growth in diagnostics testing today. You know, the Alinity rollout, how that's progressing, and whatever else in terms of tests or trends we should be paying attention to now in diagnostics. Sure. Um, you know, I think we had a really, really, really good recovery here as the health systems are opening up. You're seeing that routine testing come back. Uh, and like I said, it was pretty broad-based, U.S., uh, Europe, Asia, Asia without China. I mean, it was pretty broad-based, Latin America. So that's, that's working well. Uh, I've said the alinity is, 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 is it's a multi, multi-year kind of cycle. If you look at these contracts, they're seven to ten years. So every year you got 15% that's coming up for, uh, for, for renewal. Uh, I've also said we're trying to start, strike the balance between top-line growth and, and gross margin and gross margin expansion. Uh, and I think this is this is this is the range that you know we feel is the right range. We could probably accelerate that more with more placements uh, of instruments and more capital, but uh, you know you, you have some friction on your gross margin as you do that. So we're being thoughtful about how we make these placements and, and how we expand. Um, the one of the areas that you know recovered really nicely, and I, and I talked about in the opening comments, was on uh, blood banks. Uh, as you know, we're, we're a market leader over here. So as the blood bank business and as people uh, come back to doing blood donations and plasma donations, uh, we just proportionally benefit from that, uh, not only here in the U.S. and around the world. So um, our big focus here is really uh, to um, look at the assays and, and the tests that um, you know, are missing on the menus and focus the R&D spend to be able to you know, to close those gaps. And that was one of the areas that we did during COVID was, you know, while one portion of the diagnostic business was working on the COVID testing, the other, the other group was receiving investment to be able to develop new assays to be able to layer on. And, and, and that, 
um, uh, Maria is extremely, um, uh, it's a very important strategic driver for us because you've got the capital that's been placed out in the instrument. Um, so if we could add more assays to that, uh, that comes with a, with, a, with a much higher margin profile. So that's, that's our key area of focus. Uh, molecular is, is an area of focus. We've been working on expanding the menu uh, in molecular also. Uh, and then point of care. Um, you know, one of, the, one of the most exciting assays that uh, the team has developed for point of care uh, is a rapid test for traumatic brain injury, uh, so for concussion testing. Um, you know, we've got it approved on, on a plasma sample. Uh, we're doing all the work to be able to get it on a whole blood sample, which can then, you know, go through a clear waiver test, and then ultimately you've got now a handheld 15-minute test, blood test, to be able to rule out a concussion that could be, um, you know, uh, you can imagine the applications of that kind of test um, around the world, but specifically uh, a lot in, in terms of this country. So, uh, so that's a lot of our focus in, in, in diagnostics. That's great. Congrats on a great quarter. Thanks. Thank you. Our next question comes from Matt Mixick from Barclays. Your line is open. Hey, thanks so much for taking the question. Um, just a, a one, uh, one clarification on, on some of the topics that came up earlier, and then just uh, hopefully one kind of pipeline question. So on uh, a lot of things going on in uh, CGM and wearables, as uh, you talked about, Robert, and just to, to kind of, you know, uh, separate these out so we can understand exactly, you know, how this will play together maybe over the next, you know, 18, 24 months, Libre 3, uh, lingo and, and, and sort of and ketones. So lingo, you mentioned filing in the year. You know, wondering if that's still ketones and lactates for that product, and then if there's a path forward that includes ketones uh, for kind of the core CGM Libre three. And I have one one just quick pipeline question, if I could. Sure. Yeah, the lingo the lingo product that was launched yesterday was really starting off with a glucose only um, uh, component to it. Um, you know, we had, we had a lot of debate about this, and uh, we wanted to start off simple. Um, the opportunity to add ketones to that is definitely in the mix, um, uh, Matt. Um, there's going to be a lot of learning here for us uh, as we, as we uh, like I say, market a product uh, to a healthy population, um, and there's going to be a lot of learnings about that. Um, but the idea, as, I, as I've laid out uh, at CES a couple years ago, is that we'll have a pipeline of different analytes uh, that will come into this. Uh, lactate is on. Lactate is on the uh, is on the menu. Also, uh, the team has figured that out. I, there's an interesting application for lactate, both in the consumer market, but also in the, in the institutional market uh, for continuous uh, lactate monitoring. So, um, so bottom line, um, you know, Lingo uh, is it, it starts with glucose. Um, and um, and then we'll be adding on different analytes as as we go learning through that. Um, but all of those opportunities are are, are all there, and, and I actually think that there's going to be an opportunity, you know, as I've said, with ketones uh, in the diabetes space for sure. Um, and um, and you know that that dual sensor with ketones glucose uh, is 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 very strong. Uh, for a specific diabetes population, but I also think it could be strong for, you know, a non-diabetes population also. 
Great, great. Thanks so much. And then the um, just on the pipeline, um, we hadn't heard uh, much about what was happening with CSI post the acquisition, and obviously, you know, important, uh, you know, strategic fit and add around peripheral um, and their platforms there. But they did have this um, IBL program that was kind of in in process, and just wondering, you know, if you're ready to comment on where that is, or when we might start to hear more about the progress there or, or your expectations for that. Thanks. Um, yeah. Uh, listen, the CSI, it closed this quarter. Thank you for asking that. Uh, I think it's, uh, it's going to um, really have a strong impact as we look at our vascular business and, uh, and really focus on, on the growth in the peripheral. You can see that we've strategically been adding uh, either organically with our with our uh, below-the-knee stent that we're working on uh, that's currently in trial and then all the inorganic moves that we've been making. So uh, so that's very clear, and we're super excited about having the CSI portfolio uh, at Abbott. Uh, yeah, and you highlighted, you know, one of the ones that as we were looking at it uh, that we were, you know, super excited about. Um, and um, uh, the IVL product, um, you know, we, we, I'll put it this way, is uh, as we look and do a lot of it, the integration efforts and, and uh, you know, we did a lot of that in St. Jude and we learned a lot, uh, I would say um, from an R&D and portfolio perspective as part of that integration exercise, that's one that gets probably a, a a disproportionate amount of attention and and, uh, and share of mine from us as we're as we're doing the integration and as we're looking at the program and, and thinking about you know uh, would the program benefit with additional resources uh, etc. So I'm not I'm not prepared to comment on that right now, uh, Matt. But uh, rest assured that uh, this one here is uh, is is high and is high on my priority list. Uh, as as we you know as we're going through these next kind of quarters here of integration. Excellent. Operator, will uh, take one more question, please. Thank you. And our final question will come from Jason Bedford from Raymond James. Your line is open. Uh, good morning, and thanks for taking the question. Maybe just uh, on margins, it, it looked like there was a nice lift to base business up margin. And I'm just wondering, is this all related to the improvement in infant nutrition, or are there other factors at work? And then maybe just as a, a bit of a related question, you, know, you talked about the inflationary impacts on, on gross margin, and I think we all understand that. But I'm wondering if you're seeing input costs actually start to, to come down now, and, and if so, when will we start to see that impact the P&L? Sure. Uh, regarding the op margin profile, uh, we're actually back to our, our pre-pandemic op margin profile. So that's, I think that's really positive. Um, obviously, the mix of how we get there is a little different. We got a little bit less uh, gross margin for some of the points that uh, Bob's raised here. But, uh, you know, that op margin profile is really a combination of two things. Uh, I'd say we made a lot of investments uh, during COVID. I, I've talked about them. I, 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 we outlined them over the last couple of years. Um, and, and as we 
go into this year and you're seeing this accelerated top line. We're seeing a lot of leverage uh, in the P&L because of those investments. Haven't had to make the kind of SG&A uh, or R&D investments to be able to drive this, you know, 11, you know, 11 and a half or low double digit uh, top line growth rate. So that's one of the big drivers there. Uh, yeah, I, your question on informality, that, that obviously contributes as, as, as the product, uh, as we're recovering the share and, and the manufacturing is, is, is ramping up again. But it's, it's really a combination of, of all the areas, right? Um, as the device business grows and grows disproportionately, that has a, that has a higher gross margin profile too. So uh, I'd say it's really across the board on, on all the businesses. Uh, and this is an area of focus that we have. I, you know, to your question on gross margin, uh, this is our biggest opportunity, I would say, uh, maintaining this kind of growth rate and then looking at areas where we can improve our gross margins. Your point on input costs uh, are true. We are seeing um, you know, certain input costs come down, uh, certain commodities come down. Um, and you know, if we if if we see that continue throughout uh, going into next year, I think we'll have a great opportunity there. One of the things that I wanted to make sure we focused on uh, going into this year was that we had the inventory we needed to be able to capitalize on the opportunities we had from a top line perspective. And if you remember, Jason. You know, second half of last year, you know, supply chains were really challenged, and we had some challenges, right? Uh, and and that, those, those supply chain challenges had an impact on our top line. So going into this year, you know, we told the team, so listen, let's make sure we've got all the, uh, all the, all the inventory we need to capitalize on, on these opportunities. And, and one of the ways you do that is you've got to lock in. Uh, you've got to lock in your supply. You've got to lock in your volume. You've got to lock in your price. So, um, so as commodities come down and we start to look at our, our, our contracts for next year, I think that'll be a great opportunity for us uh, as we go through it. So, um, so that being said, I'll just wrap up here with a few, uh, a few closing comments. Um, we, had a, we had a very strong start for the first half of the year. We achieved uh, double-digit double organic sales growth on the underlying business. We've done it for two quarters in a row now. Uh, the growth is broad-based. Um, it's not focused on one specific area or one geographic area. Uh, it's across the entire portfolio, and, and uh, all of the areas have, have delivered uh, great performance. Uh, the pipeline has been highly productive, um, and I think that's the key uh, for, for us and for our strategies to make sure that uh, we're bringing new innovations to the market that can kind of sustain our, our top line and, and, and meet unmet needs for patients. Uh, we've raised um, the organic sales growth and the EPS guidance on the base business. Um, and the EPS guidance in the base business is now forecasted, as I said in the beginning, uh, to be about 15 cents higher than our original guidance back in January. So momentum is building. Uh, we're well positioned for the second half of the year uh, and heading into next year. So with that, uh, thank you for joining us. Thank you, operator, and thank you all for your questions. This now concludes Abbott's conference call. The webcast replay of this call will be available after 11 a.m. Central Time today on Abbott's Investor Relations website at abbottinvestor.com. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you. This concludes today's conference call. Thank you for your participation. You may now disconnect. Everyone, have a wonderful day.